morning. If you pull out your bulletin and for the, um, the notes, you can take off the goldenrod sheet and we'll look at that later. And if you want to take notes, you can. But as you see, um, we're talking about treasures. We're talking about treasuring Christ. And if you've been reading the book, um, the book called Member, or I'm a Church Member, the last chapter, which is the chapter that coincides with today, is I will treasure my church. I will treasure my church. Um, but that's the chapter of the book. I wanted to bring something different today. So the message today is different than the one in the book, but it complements it. And the message today is that I want us to think about what it means to treasure Jesus. And that may sound like almost a cliche because we use that word a lot, treasure. In fact, we've been using it for years in our church, the Treasuring Christ Kingdom. And we've called that our campaign as we think about what God's will would be for a new church building as we have sought to raise funds to be able to support that. And so we have used this word a lot. But I want us today to think about what it would mean in every deep, in every passionate way that you would be able to know that you treasure Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ treasures you. That's why we're here. We're here as a church not because we are a church, we are here as a people because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if we treasure Christ, then I believe we will treasure the church. But we might treasure the church without treasuring Jesus. You know, we could love the fellowship, we could love the people, we could love working. Um, but if we don't treasure Jesus, then treasuring the church won't have its impact that it's meant to be. Um, I've always dreamed, ever since I was a little boy, of finding a lost treasure. Uh, have you ever dreamed of that? You know, I, as a little boy, I would go to my backyard with my little shovel, and I would dig, and I would pretend, and I would bury things and dig them back up. I'd pretend that I'd found a great treasure that would make my family really rich. And as a little boy, I remember on TV, there was a children's show, and it was a, it was a show where children got to go on this made-up you know, little desert island, and then they would be able to get a treasure map, and they would race with each other, and they would have to find, you know, X marks the spot, and they would dig, and the first one to find the treasure got to keep it. And I always wanted to be on that show. It just was something that always captured my, my desire. But now, as I've grown older, much older, um, you know what? I still dream of finding a treasure. I still dream of finding a valuable, priceless treasure that would change my life. And now that treasure is in a different place. It's not on some lost desert island. It's not under the sand or under the dirt. But rather that treasure was within my heart. I long to find a treasure in my heart that would make me rich. And I believe that for all the things that we want in this world, all the treasures that we look for, all the things that we think will give our life satisfaction, meaning, and joy, that deep inside of us, we know, but don't think about it as much, that what we're really looking for is God in our hearts and Jesus as our treasure. And so today I want to bring a message that I, I hope would be both personal but practical. Personal because 
This is a passage that we're going to look at today that was written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, to his spiritual son, Timothy, whom he loved with all his heart. And for all that we know, Tim Paul did not have a natural son in the world, but he had a spiritual son named Timothy, and he loved him. And Timothy was a pastor. And Paul wrote this book, 1 Timothy, to his son, so he might know how to be a better pastor. And so that's the personal part for me, that these are called the pastoral epistles in Timothy and Titus. And these are letters that are written to pastors, but they're not written just for pastors. They're written also for the church, because these are the lessons that Paul is going to treat, teach to Timothy that he might teach to his people, because they are a family. And because Paul loved Timothy as a son, he wanted Timothy to love his church as a family. As an only son, I, I have the joy and also the responsibility of caring for my parents. And they've always cared for me. They've done everything for me growing up. They've spoiled me a little too much. But they've loved me. And so we've tried, my wife and I, to, to, to respond to them and to give back to them the best that we can. We could never outgive my parents. We could never outgive Carol's mom. We could never outgive what they've given to us in a physical way, but we can give back in a spiritual way, and we can give back in a loving way. And so many years ago, actually it was 11 years ago, uh, my parents were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And so Carol and my kids put together a party, and we invited uh, all of their friends and our family, and we had a pretty good-sized party down in San Diego. And the party favor um, that we gave to my parents was this heart. I have one here, okay, we gave, them, we gave everybody a heart, and uh, there should be, oh, there it is, a picture of the heart, and on it it says, cherish your family, for they are your treasure. Cherish your family, for they are your treasure. And on the back it has their anniversary date and uh, my parents' name in the celebration in 2004 of their 50th wedding anniversary. And, and this just sort of encapsulated what we wanted in that party, but I think it also encapsulates what we want as a church, is that we want to cherish our family because they are your treasure. My parents' anniversary uh, is November the 6th, so it was their 61st wedding anniversary on Friday. And, um, and so they've continued to treasure each other. And they've given me the most important lesson of what it means to treasure your family here on earth. Now that translates into application here for all of us, is that God treasures us, that Jesus treasures us. And because he treasures us, we should treasure him. Now, this is not an easy life. This is a difficult life. And we shouldn't pretend that it's easy. And as we look into this passage today, we're going to see that the Christian life is not meant to be an easy treasure hunt, but rather it is a battle. Rather, it is a fight. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that we have to have, as Timothy had, a strong confession. We have to have a strong confession of our faith, and we'll find out what that means. But if you're taking notes, the first point is that just as Jesus confessed, so should we confess our faith. That just as Jesus confessed, so should we do the same. 
And so if you look in your outline or open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll look at verses um, 12 through 15. We'll look at verses 12 through 15. And if you, um, there's some Bibles there on the inside as the person grabbing would pass them to the outside. Um, someone can have that if they need it. And if you have your outline, uh, you can follow there, but it'll be up on the screen. And um, I'll read it. You can follow along, verses 12 through 15. And there, Paul says to Timothy, but he also says to all of us, because, you know, the message that Paul's going to give to Timothy, Timothy's going to give to his people. So though this message was initially given to a pastor, it's meant for all the church. And there he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Now, Timothy had made a good confession, and it says there in verse 12 that he made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And this may mean one or two things. It may be the confession that he made at his baptism when he proclaimed his faith in Jesus Christ, and or it may also include the confession he made at the ordination when he became a pastor, when Paul laid hands on him and the elders laid hands on him and the congregation recognized Timothy as being called by God to be their servant. And so Timothy made a good confession. Now, Paul says that just as you made a good confession, so I want you to see that that good confession is to be parallel to the same confession Jesus made. Jesus is always the center of the message. See, it's not my confession, it's not your confession that is the focal point, but it's who we confess. Now, the word confess, when you think about it, you know, you may think about it more like a legal term. You know, like, you know, I confess I did this, and I'm sorry. I confess that I, I stole, or I confess that I lie. And we tend to think like, you know, confession is the way that we, we get our forgiveness from God. Well, we know that passage, right, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our righteousness. And as a little boy and as growing up, I always thought, well, what that means, what the word confess means is like I sort of have to feel really bad for what I did. So I, my confession is sort of like groveling and it's like saying, you know, I've done something wrong and I confess and I'm so sorry. And it's just like sort of this pouring out of, of pain. But that's not what the word confess means. The word confess is actually in Greek, it's made up of two words. And the two words are together and say or to say together. And what it means is that I am agreeing with what somebody else says. I'm agreeing with what somebody else has as their desire. So I say together with them what they are already saying. So basically what it is is I agree with God. That's what confession means. I say what God says. So when the Bible says to confess our sins, what we're saying is, God, I agree with you that what I did was wrong. I agree with you that what I did was sin. And God says that is the means by which we are working with God and receiving his forgiveness. So I confess, I agree with God. I consent with God. And I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. Now, Jesus 
he agreed with his father. His confession that Paul is referring to, we find in John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. And there, this is Jesus, just as he's about to be um, sentenced to death by Pilate, just as he was about to go to the cross. And so we read these words in John 18, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus' confession is that he is a king. Jesus is agreeing with God that he is God and that he came into this world to show us who God is. That Jesus is the illustration of everything that Timothy was going to confess. And Jesus is what we confess. When we confess in this world and we keep our good confession, what we're saying to the world is we proclaim that Jesus Christ is King. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we proclaim that we belong to a different kingdom than the kingdom of this earth. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. And because of this, because of this, I stand my life upon this truth that Jesus Christ is God and that he died for our sins. Now what that means then is that I will honor God because that's why he sent Jesus into the world. I will give honor to Jesus Christ and I will do it no matter what. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I want you to stand firm. I want you to keep your confession at all costs. Well, the same thing goes for you and for me. That I will honor Jesus Christ at all costs. We read in verse 15 and the second part of it in verse 16. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. So when we make our good confession, when we confess Jesus as Lord, we are also giving honor to God. We are calling God precious. That's what the word honor means. We are saying that God is full of all might, and the word might means dominion. That we know that even though this world is passing away, and even though this world is so hurt, and even though there's so many problems in this world, we know there's a victory coming. And that victory is coming in Jesus. He came in the flesh and he came and he experienced weakness and he died and he bled. But he's going to come back victorious. He's going to come back strong. He's coming back, as it says here, as ruler, as king of kings and lord of lords. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14, the Bible says, they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. And that those of us who keep and have our good confession can have as a confidence that we will be with Jesus, the Lord of lords and the king of kings, when he reigns victorious upon this earth. It says the same thing in Revelation 19, verses 13 through 16. He, Jesus, 
is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Jesus is our Lord, and he is the Lord. And Jesus is our King, and he is the King. And we can have confidence in our confession. We can honor God no matter what we go through, at all costs, because God has promised that he will be victorious over all the problems that we have. And so we must hold on despite the problems. We must maintain our faith. And so God wants us to continue to know that this fight, this fight is something that we will continue to do. This is a fight that you and I are engaged in, and this is our second point, is that as Jesus fought, so shall I fight to keep the confession of my faith. Again, we look back at the beginning of verse 12, and it says, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life. And Paul uses the imperative mood there as he uses these two words, fight and take hold. These are like commands to us. It is imperative. In our lives, it's absolutely necessary. It's required of us to fight if our faith is going to remain strong. It's required of us to hold on to the eternal life. This word fight is an athletic term, okay? And what it means is the word is actually, in Greek, it's agonizomai, which sounds like what? Agony, all right? And so it's actually a term used of, for athletes. And so what Paul is saying is that just as an athlete has to agonize as he trains and as he participates in the events in, in sports, so must we as Christians put forth the effort and even agonize now, what's the event in the Christian's life? The event is called faith. We are in the faith event, and we're all entered, and we're all in this race. And Paul says that this race is going to be a fight. It's going to be like an athletic race or a struggle. And as we fight, we must hold on to something. Just like the runner in a race that holds a baton, we are to hold on to something even while we are going forward. And what we hold on to, Paul says, is eternal life. Now, this doesn't mean that we earn our eternal life. Actually, it implies here that we already have it. That's why we are holding on to it. It's something that belongs to us. You know, like if somebody, you've seen children do this, right? You know, when they think it's their toy or maybe it is their toy and another child comes and the other child wants it and the child grabs it, what does the first child do? It just holds on even tighter, right? And they say, it's, it's mine. It's mine. It belongs to me. Well, you know, that we would say is not what we want our children. We want them to share. But the picture of holding on is what God wants for us. He wants us to hold on to the baton of eternal life and say, no, this belongs to me. I'm not letting go. I'm going to run the race. God has promised me eternal life, and I'm not going to let go of that promise. I'm not going to let go of that hope. It's a certainty that God's given to me, and so I'm going to take hold of it. And Paul, in another book of the Bible, in Philippians, he, he 
gives us the same picture. And, and he does it in such a way that, that we can begin to identify with how much he loved God and how much he wants us to love God too. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, like for me, the prize was to be able to join this uh, children's show and be able to, to dig through the sand and find the prize. But Paul says, you know, the prize here, the prize is what God has already given to us, the fullness of eternal life. And so Paul says, I press on. And not only do I press on, but I take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And so there's a picture here of us not only holding on dearly to the prize of what God has given to us, but Jesus Christ holding on dearly to us for that same purpose. That Jesus took hold of us, that we might take hold of him and so as we fight in our Christian lives to maintain and to proclaim our faith, we know that God is on our side. And therefore, we can press on and we can hold on to Jesus at all times. This is our good confession. This is our confession that we know that God is real and we won't give up no matter what. This is a challenge for us. And we have different challenges than those in around the world, those who are facing persecution and their lives are at stake. This passage probably means so much more to them than maybe to us because we have a much easier life in some ways. But in other ways, we have a much harder life because we have so many distractions in this world. We have so many things in this world that can keep us away from God. And those things are the things that we must learn to let go of. We must identify them. And then we must hold on to Jesus. And we must press on so that we can do what he asks us to do. And this is the means by which we treasure Christ. We obey his commands. This is the means by which we learn and we receive more and more of the joy of his treasures even in this life. We obey his commands. We do what he says. And so as Jesus commands, so shall we obey. Jesus does command us. I mean, Paul was speaking to Timothy, but the command that Paul was giving to Timothy had come from God. And the commands that Timothy would then give to his people were coming from God. And so when the Bible gives the pastor the words to command, those aren't the pastor's words to command the people. Those are God's word to command all of us. And so we read in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, 
In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Are you taking hold? Do you have the life that is truly life? Do you feel like your life is so full that you know this is it? I've got it. I don't need any more. This is what I have, and, and God has given it to me. And, you know, these words actually, I think, very well fit the words that we need to hear here in America because we are rich. Just to be here today, we are rich in the worldly sense of the word. We have plenty of what things that we need, the comforts of this life. But God commands us. And he says, you know, regarding your riches, he says, what I want you to do is not be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Don't think you deserve what you got. Don't think you've earned it all on your own hard work. This was a gift from God. God gifted you. God gave you the opportunity to live here in America or to go to college. God gave you the gifts that allow you to be able to make the money that you make. God gave you the opportunity to do the things that other people around the world don't have the same opportunity for. But don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Don't think you deserve it all. Don't think it's because of you. But rather, think and remember this is a gift that God has given to us to use for the sake of others. And don't put your hope in riches, Paul says, but rather put your hope in God. Put your hope in God so that your security is in him. Your security and your strength is not in the things that we have in this world, but that God ultimately will bring us to himself in heaven. Put all of your hope in God. And then be rich, be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Don't try to be rich in this world thinking that that's what money is for, is to be contained and to be possessed and to, to acquire more and more. Now, this isn't just a word for people. This isn't just a word that Paul wanted Timothy to teach the people. This was the same word that Paul had warned Timothy about that pastors have the same temptations. So the verses before we start in verse 12, verse 10 and 11, Paul's speaking specifically now to Timothy there, and he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So not only were the people tempted to consider that their lives were made up of the things that they could possess in this world, but Paul said, Timothy, you, man of God, pastor, you must flee from this same desire for the love of money. You too must flee for the things of this world that would take you away from God. But rather, what I want you to do is pursue all these great things that are eternal, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so the message to Timothy, the message to the people, and the message to you and to me is that when I obey the commands of God, what I will do is I will place my life, I will place my hopes in God, in living 
for eternity now. See, the life that is truly life isn't just something that's going to happen after we die. That's a statement of what happens today. That God wants us to experience the life that is truly life here on earth. Now, this treasure that God would want us to have is a treasure that is within our hearts. Is a treasure of what God gives us so that our hearts actually then become a picture of the wor- to the world of how we really are as the people of God. There was once a lone boy, and I heard this parable, and I thought, this is just such a beautiful parable of us. And so there was once this one boy, young boy, and he was very proud of his heart. And he used to go around and used to say, I have the most beautiful of hearts. And so he would say that enough that people would come around him and they would look at his heart and they go, wow, you really do have a beautiful heart. It's perfect. It's spotless. It beats so steadily and strong. But then one little girl came up to him and looked at his heart and said, I've seen a heart more beautiful than yours. And he said, where? And the little girl pointed to this old man sitting down over by the fountain. And so they all went over to this old man and they looked at his heart and they could tell his heart was beating very strong, very vigorously. But it was, it was a heart that you would say was ugly. It was, it was torn. It was stitched together. It was misshapen. It had holes in it. And so they all looked at that heart and, and, and the boy said, that's not a beautiful heart. And, and so the boy looked at the man with a certain sense of disdain, and he goes, sir, how, how did you ever get such an, an ugly heart? And the man said, well, I, I used to give my heart to people. And I would give a part of my heart to them, and then they would give a part of their heart to me. Well, our parts didn't always match, and so that's why you see the stitching there. They weren't always the same size. And so that's why there's, there's, there's stitches and there's scars on my heart. But then there's also holes in my heart. And well, you see, what happened there is that I gave my heart to some people, but they didn't give their heart to me. And it hurts. But the hole in my heart, it always reminds me to keep loving them. It's my hope that someday they too will give their heart back to me to fill that hole. And then there are other places in my heart that you see that just seem to be so broken because I've shared that with others. And they've shared theirs with me. And so that's why my heart is so tattered. That's why my heart looks like it does. And so the young boy looked at him and then he admired this old man. And the little girl said to the boy, now do you see why I think his heart is more beautiful than yours? And the boy just bowed his head and began to cry. But he walked over to the old man and he tore out a piece of his heart. And he gave his heart to the old man. And the old man took out a piece of his heart and he gave it to the boy. And now the boy's heart had a scar. And the boy's heart didn't look so perfect anymore. But together, they shared one heart. And I love this story and this parable. 
Because to me, this is a picture of the church because it is a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus has given his heart to you and to me and to us. And his heart has been tattered and his heart has been scarred. And there are places where Jesus has given his heart to you and to me, but maybe we haven't returned our heart to him. But he waits. And he offers us the opportunity to always give of ourselves to him. And he says that if you love me, then you will love my church. And the same thing will happen within the church is that people are going to take a piece of your heart and they may or they may not give you a piece of theirs in the good way. They may give you a piece of their mind while giving you a piece of their heart. And there may be times where you actually in love give them a piece of your heart, but they don't return it in kind. There are problems with people. There are problems in churches. There are problems in families. God wants us to share one heart with each other. To share and to learn, to share and to give, to fill each other's brokenness, to share each other's hurts. This is what it's like to be a church. It's what it's like to be a family. And if I treasure Jesus, I will treasure his church. Three things that I would think God would want us to do with our heart. Very practical. Number one, give our whole heart to Jesus. Have you done that? Are you willing to do it again today? Just say, Jesus, I give you my whole heart. We're going to take communion in just a little bit. And it's another opportunity for us to see that Jesus gave his whole life for us, his body and his blood. And we can give our whole hearts to him afresh and anew. The second thing is give your heart to your church family. Just like for me, my, my heart beats for my family, my human family, more than for any other family. Because they're, they're part of me. Well, in the same way the church, we are one family. And God would have us to give our hearts for our church family, to give a portion and to take a portion even though it means more scars, even though it means times of holes, even though it means times where it doesn't feel good and, it, and you just wonder, will your heart ever beat right again? But we give our heart to the people that we know here in the family. And thirdly, give your heart to the poor and to the needy. Give your heart to those who need it, who can take of the treasures God's given to you, as Paul said to Timothy, as Timothy said to his people. That God would say, give of your treasures to others. That's how you find the treasure. Is you give it to those in greatest of need. You give it to those who don't have it by themselves. And you find that your own heart is filled more and more with the treasures of God. Now you can take that goldenrod piece of paper. And, um, and there it is. That is sort of what we've been calling the pledge. The pledge for each of the sermons. And this is the summary pledge, not only for today, but for the series. I'd like you to read it out loud for me. You can either read from the goldenrod sheet, or you can read what's on the screen here. But let's read this out loud together. I am a church member 
This membership is a gift of grace. When I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. Jesus so treasured me that he died on the cross. Now I will treasure him by confessing him as my King and Lord. I will fight the good fight and live by faith, and I will learn and obey his commands. I pray that I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a treasure and an opportunity to serve Jesus and others and to be a part of something so much greater than any one person. Together we are members of the body and family of Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's seek to have our hearts towards Jesus. Let's seek to have our hearts towards his people. Let's seek to have our hearts and our treasure towards those in need. And we will find that our treasure is within our very own self. The kind of treasure I think we all want more than anything else. The treasure that we share in the name of Jesus as his church. And he gives to us as he is the Christ and the Messiah for each of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the one true and only God. And Lord, you treasured us by dying for us on the cross. You treasured us by giving all of yourself for us. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray, help us to treasure you in like manner. Help us to be filled with your Spirit that we might know the joy of giving of ourselves completely to you. And help us, Lord, to treasure your church as well, even as you do. Help us to treasure those who have great needs as you do, to give to the needy, to give to the poor, to give of ourselves as you have given to us. And in this way, Lord, we indeed, we pray that we will find that treasure of Christ within ourselves, the greatest treasure of all. In his name, in Jesus, we pray. Amen.